Hello and welcome to Postgres FM, a weekly show about all things PostgreSQL. I'm Michael, founder of PG Mustard, and this is my co-host Nikolai, founder of Postgres AI. Hey Nikolai, what are we talking about today? Hi Michael, Jason B. Oh, we're going straight for B. Yeah. Right. B is better. Yeah, I found that funny. Is it is that semi-official or is that just a joke? Well, I remember it was uh, when it was presented, it was discussed, and uh, binary better, nobody knows. Maybe B, like number two, A and B. But no, I've never saw that discussed. This explanation I never heard of, so I doubt. Yeah. So, I mean, specifically, I guess we're talking about storing JSON in Postgres and the options for doing so and how you can then use it. We've had a couple of requests for similar things in this area. So thank you to the people that have requested those. Where did you want to start? Well, I would start uh, with discussion of first normal form and uh, atomic values versus non-atomic values. And do we consider arrays, for example, as atomic? And uh, uh, we definitely should touch history and h-store. Well, arrays are supported for quite long in Postgres, both numeric and other types of arrays, like text arrays and so on, and uh, multidimensional arrays, actually. Then HStore, I, I think it appeared first in 2004, very long ago, almost 20 years ago. And uh, HStore is like key value, and it's, it doesn't support nesting, but it's still very already like flexible. So arrays and HStore, it already breaks, for some understanding, it already breaks first normal form because uh, these values are not atomic. But uh, actually, we can argue that, for example, timestamp, is not atomic as well. So let's leave this discussion for uh, th- for theory part and focus on practice part, right? For practice, definitely, I would say these values are very convenient and they are not uh, as evil as nulls, right? <laughs> and, I mean, they, they can save your time not bringing too much uh, issues uh, in terms of unexpected behavior and so on. There are some cases when you have some unexpected behavior. And the most interesting thing, I remember like 15 years ago, I had a talk in Maryland. It was my first visit to the US. And the talk was about how Postgres is good for modern web web applications. At the time, Web 2.0 was a thing. So my talk called was called like Postgres is good for Web 2.0. I did some benchmarks uh, for EAV versus HStore or arrays. Doesn't matter actually in this case. JSON uh, didn't exist at that time yet. And actually, I was also working on XML. It's yet another uh, data type which you, which you can say is breaking first normal form, but also provides some flexibility in, in some cases. I think uh, currently it's not the most popular uh, format, but still, there is some development ongoing still. And the thing is that EAV is very flexible, EAV is entity attribute value. When you have three tables uh, with foreign keys between them, optional foreign keys, foreign keys is not the biggest problem there. The biggest problem there is that you need to to join extensively. Uh, So some entity, some attribute and an additional like connection table between them, which contains values, stores value. So basically it's like your document, if you had originally XML or JSON document, you shrink to three tables. It's very flexible, supports a lot of possible documents, but to construct document back, you need to join all all of them, right? And uh, one thing we have, we have storage overhead issue 
usually a, a lot of more bytes are need, need to be wasted uh, to store compared to for example text representation or json representation and second thing uh, you need to join everything together all the time and as i like my very simple explanation to new postgres users you cannot have you cannot have index on two tables this means you yeah. usually for best performance you usually want to have everything in one table joints like joints are good postgres can be very performant in joints but not always uh, nothing can beat uh, index only scan for example right yeah i mean but so just to clarify when you're saying you can't have an index on two tables we mean you if you want a multi-column index, you can't pick two columns that are from separate tables. Right. So EAV approach is uh, like, I would say, radical normalization approach. You normalize everything. You have IDs everywhere. And then you need to index. And then you need to, to rely on join algorithms. We have three, right? And uh, compared to denormalized state, when you probably repeat some keys and so on, you have worse performance usually in, so both uh, storage overhead and worse performance to extract whole document uh, and it usually means you would you you need to avoid eav in most cases yeah yeah i think it's worth even saying developer experience is worse right if even to get the simplest data out of if you're having to do multiple joins it's just more complex as well but yeah, I agree that those two are the farm. Well, develop, developers uh, specifically, I, I've observed several teams who loved the flexibility. It's like with Star Schema for analytical uh, databases. They they love flexibility. They can qu quite quickly develop abstraction in their language of choice and yeah, uh, be very flexible, very good. But then at some point when we, we have billion of rows, we already can like feel trouble with this approach so uh, my my talk 15 years ago i i was trying to prove that hstore or xml or arrays is better so you need to go dynamalized way and rely on on uh, flexible indexing uh, capabilities postgres provides for example gene is the, like very flexible uh, way to index complex data types and then json appeared i think in 2014 13 First text. I've, I've written it down. Yeah, nine point two is two thousand twelve, but that was Beautiful. regular J. That was JSON without B, the the less right. good version. Syn syntax sugar JSON, let's call it so. Yeah. Well, actually, if we're sticking to history, let should we give a quick rundown of what that included? So we we could store JSON. It did some validation, but it was like a, it was just a blob. It was like a a string basically. Text. Yes. But uh, why? Was it so like it was success even before JSON B, because uh, by that time already JSON became a standard de facto for web application, mobile application. Most pieces of systems started to communicate using JSON, and uh, it was obvious that it's great to support it in database, and also it gave a birth to the, this movement. Let's eliminate middleware and allow some, maybe some very thin middleware like Postgres, we had an episode about it and so so front end can communicate with data stores postgres data database uh, through some very thin middleware which doesn't have a lot of logic and a lot of logic goes for example react app or it goes to client code 
or mobile app. A lot of logic is there, and the data logic goes to database closer, and it also gave another wave of interest to database side programming using PLPJSQL or PLPython and so on. Right. So this is interesting. Indeed, it started roughly 10 years ago. Yeah. Wow. That's longer than I would have guessed, actually. Yeah. yeah. And then a few years later, JSONB was implemented and it has indexing support, right? So it's binary format, which stores keys in ordered form internally, and uh, it supports flexible uh, indexing capabilities. Well, for JSON, you also can index using B-tree and path. So you can use B-tree indexing for some path expressions. So you can create an index, expressional index, but the expression should return scalar values, right? It cannot return whole value. Or you need to convert it to text, but it will be not very good. Basically, you can, uh, this index can uh, be meaningful only if your query has the same expression as well. Right, and sometimes it's good because this uh, Bitris is very efficient, and you can use it uh, in some cases. But for JSON B, you can use Gene Index with uh, some modifiers like uh, JSON B Pattern Ops, uh, and I don't remember, but there is a way path to Path Ops, maybe Path Ops. Yes, yes. So you can uh, say I don't need to remember everything; I just need keys and values, and uh, in this case, only limited expressions will be supported. But index size will be smaller, so you can you have choice. You can choose uh, how to index it, right? And Gin is great in many cases. Not often there are also issues with Gin sometimes, especially with this fast update option. But it's another story. So JSON B probably. What do you think? How much of popularity to Postgres can be associated with appearance of JSON or JSON B? Yeah, I think I mentioned in our, I think we did an episode roughly on this topic of, you know, why is Postgres so popular? And I, I actually assign quite a lot of value to this, but not necessarily for fully technical reasons. I think there are really good technical reasons for it, which we'll go into soon. But I think for marketing reasons, I think MongoDB was doing really well around this time, not so much for technical reasons, but for marketing reasons. And this, as I think we're going to discuss, this didn't put an end to that debate, but it, it made meant people didn't have to make a decision either or they could store some of the, you know, key value data in Postgres and get nearly as good performance uh, or, or better in some cases. So I personally think it was really important for, for the, the trend we're seeing now of people seeing relational databases as cool again or the de facto again. I think we, we were at risk of losing that or losing traction there and people going more towards databases like mongo but yeah i i don't know what i think it was very important but I'd, i'm not sure right uh, likewise uh, i think uh, it's uh, important and uh, it helped to join two worlds right so relational and non-relational world yeah. and uh, now everyone who wants to stay in json world can just have a table with like surrogate key big integer 
and and JSON like data, right? No, don't give people it's, bad ideas. It's uh, but uh, of course I don't encourage. Usually I say let's let's understand which columns we can say we know these columns and we know data types and all constraints and uh, we we should extract them and store separately and have JSON only for some like flexible, not yet understood parts of our data. But uh, yeah. worth mentioning that uh, some people, for example, Oleg Bartonov mentions that usually in, in his slides on conferences, he shows some graphs that showing that uh, when JSONB appeared, popularity of Postgres started to increase. But if you look closer, actually, popularity started to increase slightly earlier. It's like it's the same. It's, it was the same year, but JSON was not yet released. It was released in the end of year, but popularity started to go up earlier this, that year. It was 2013, maybe 12, 13, I don't remember. And as we discussed in the past, we suspect it was related to uh, RDS probably. Support yeah. of Postgres uh, in RDS. Back to JSON. I think before we move on from the comparison of JSON and JSONB, I have seen some very smart people making a case for that. There are some use cases for JSON over JSONB. There's a few things it like it. You mentioned ordering. If you really want to store what you are sent, for example, for some reason, JSON support, it preserves the order. It preserves white space. It even preserves duplicate keys. And there's one more advantage I saw somebody share, which is on just purely on ingest rate, it can, yeah, it is faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if for any reason those, those are important to you, it can be useful, but it comes at a big cost in terms of if you need to read the data. So I think for most people, they want to access this data in some way in the future, you're probably going to want JSONB. Yeah, you, I think your default choice should be JSONB, but in some cases, uh, indeed, when we need faster insert and we don't care about better check of uh, better validation in terms of like uh, duplicate keys and so on. Also, regular JSON is to to takes uh, roughly two more space, right? Ah, no, 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 vice versa. Less sorry. space, right? Yes, yes, yes. vice versa. It's, regular unless you JSON. can't work space. Yes, yes, it takes less space than JSONB. So if like default choice is JSONB, but if you want to optimize on insert speed and on storage space, probably like older JSON data type is better. Basically, there are some differences. If if these kinds of things are important to you, look into it, test it. But that's why in if you read up on these topics, often people are just defaulting to JSONB and not really even explaining right. why. Well, because, right, before, because, for example, the speed of accessing particular keys will be slower, especially if you have a lot of keys, nested uh, structure and so on. In JSONB, it's easy because it's, it's already parsed. But for JSON, it will be parsed. Postgres will be parsing on the fly, trying yeah. to extract your part of, it, of your value. So it depends on workload, right? But yeah. uh, I would say go with JSONB. Uh, and only in some narrow cases uh, consider JSON, JSON, regular JSON. Cool. Continuing with history, should we talk a little bit about the JSON path stuff added in, it was it well, it's only a few years ago, 2019, I think, version 12? Right. And not everything was added. Uh, there, there is, a, first of all, there is a whole part in SQL standard right now, yeah. similar to a, a SQL XML. Now there is a SQL JSON. And the JSON path, uh, it's a lot of stuff appeared there. Well, before that, I would say 
Postgres already had a lot of manipulation capabilities, like a lot, and it's hard to remember all of them. For example, you can switch from relational data back and forth, aggregation, accessing particular parts, also changing particular parts. But it was done in, in native Postgres uh, way because no standard existed. I think Postgres pioneered a lot of things in this area before even commercial databases, right? Yep. And when standard appeared, uh, a lot of efforts were done to develop uh, support of standard. But uh, unfortunately, not everything was was committed to recent Postgres versions because uh, it's whole it's a huge work, and uh, uh, it needs more time for testing and so on. So only parts of that uh, went to Postgres uh, 15. Yeah, fingers crossed for future versions. I know a lot of people are excited about that. Um, and on the functions front, I think you're right. I think my, I, I don't even try and remember them. I don't use it that much, but my general rule of thumb is if you want to manipulate your data in some way and transform it in some way, there's probably a function for that. The docs are great. I'll share a link to them in the show notes but there's a serious list. So if, if you think something might be possible, check because it, it's probably a function that's already there. Right. I, I, I worked with JSON a lot in Postgres context and not only, and uh, I always have reference uh, Postgres documentation open because it has a lot of stuff uh, to, to cover. Also, uh, speaking of uh, SQL JSON, of course, we need to recommend uh, Oleg Bartonov and others, Alexander Karatkov, Nikita Gluchov uh, work. Uh, they had a lot of presentations, a lot of slides, I think we can link them. And uh, there is a lot of work there done over the last few years. Yeah, a lot in terms of performance and indexing, especially, I believe. Well, not only indexing, I mean, uh, support of SQL JSON standard, even if it's not uh, oh, really? fully finished. Yes, it started several years ago. It's like a lot of work <laughs> go check out. But indexing, yes, uh, the same people also involved into gene support for JSON B. Indeed. Rum or vodka? I forgot what it's called. No, no, rum vodka. It's different. It's extension of gin. Uh, oh, rum okay. is, yeah. So the problem with gin usually is that you have gin. Okay, you you index your document. For example, JSON doesn't matter. Maybe something else. Gin supports various things. For example, arrays as well, right? Or full text search. So also gin. So we index yeah. some document and we have a huge table with, uh, for example, ID, created, add something else, and this data value indexed by gene. And then we, we want to have an like search covered by gene, supported by gene. Uh, but we want to also to have some pagination in order by. Order by, we usually yeah. want to have not, like traditional approach with full text search. Uh, uh, full text search, why I mentioned full text search? Because gene originally was created for it for full text search. Only then it was propagated to complex data types, uh, this like RD3, Russian doll tree for arrays and so on. It's a historical uh, knowledge, right? So usually we ordered by some relevance metric. Uh, for example, this document is most relevant for this search and goes to the first place mm -hmm. and so on. And this data is like an index. But in social media uh, use cases, we usually order by time. Right, we yep, want latest or something. Fresh data go go first, mm -hmm. old data goes last, and pagination. How to do that? Uh, we need uh, to order by either ID or created at timestamp, and this data is not present in Gene. 
And this is a huge problem because Postgres now needs to choose what to use, either B3 for that, historical yep. ordering, right? Or uh, Gene for full text search or JSON search, anything. Trigram search, it can be anything. And uh, how to combine it? The idea, let's combine it, is RAM index. So yep. integer or timestamp value goes to Gene, it extends it, and we have the RAM index. But RAM index, uh, in my tests, uh, honestly, I didn't do it in the past two or three years. So I'm, my, m there might be improvements, but in my tests in the past, I had so big index size and performance issues, so I decided not to go with it in production every time I tried it. Maybe today it's better, I don't know. If our listeners know, have fresh data about RAM behavior, please comment, uh, let us know. It's interesting. Yeah, that'd be cool. Should we move back to, I feel like we haven't really even discussed when when it isn't isn't a good idea. There's some really good articles about this. My personal favorite is by a team at Cybertech. I think Lawrence goes into great detail on a lot of, actually focuses mostly on mistakes he sees people doing. So as we said, very popular. People like the idea of the flexibility, but uh, he, he listed a bunch of uh, things that they often do that he wouldn't advise. And I think they're very sensible suggestions. Like, for example, the uh, first thing you mentioned, which is ID and then JSON. And that was it. Uh, instead of pulling out some of the columns that you might. Right. Classic example here, if it's some um, account data, for example, which has email and so on, we de I would definitely put it as normal columns uh, to, for better control uh, to have all constraints in place and uh, to have better data quality, right? To ensure that everything is like field, not null, uniqueness, uniqueness, and so on. It can be achieved in JSON because we can have constraint, like check constraints using some uh, expressions over JSON, but it would be much uh, harder to maintain. Yeah, I think that might be an understatement, but yeah, I would not like to maintain a system that was doing that. But yeah, so uh, constraints are a really good point. Uh, good, like foreign keys are an example, uniqueness. Oh, yeah, so there's so many things that would be, that you're kind of losing out on nice support for. You know what? I, I remember from my XML practice uh, 15 years ago when I worked on it for Postgres, uh, of course, there was a, a ways, several ways to ensure some like semi-structured schema for for XML values. And for JSON, we don't have it. Of, of course, we can use some check constraints, as I mentioned. But uh, there is an interesting project. I haven't. I only know about it. I haven't looked at it. From Superbase, it's called PGJSON Schema. So there is something to ensure, to, to have in place some schema for JSON and ensure that uh, our values are matched against this, uh, the rules defined in this schema. So some something interesting also, but for account data, for the data like billing data, I would I would never put the most important fields to JSON. I I would keep them in relational part of tables. Yeah, I've got a few more kind of reasons here as to why. Like uh, I think I think it's worth saying that f for example, if we want to update some of the data in there, it's a hugely more expensive for, for some technical reasons like especially if it's if it's been toasted exactly the toasting it's not only about updating but for updating it's a big question but also for reading as well and all benchmarks yeah. which deal with like which check json values of different size we can observe 
that when we achieve toast point two kilobytes per per or it's it's can, it can be controlled right in this case uh, degradation happens immediately and uh, then toasting adds huge overhead for both reading and uh, modifications but there is some work I, I don't think it was finished and uh, already committed i think no there is some work to improve the update speed uh, touching only those chunks of toast which really need to be touched so this would be interesting improvement but i think it's not yet finished yeah that'd be cool but i'm not sure how that would work but that'd be very cool the other th- a couple of other kind of more basic points i think are quite important are well actually Lawrence mentions joining if you want to join on one of the columns for example that is in the json that's obviously going to be a, a challenge but the i think the more important part for me coming from the performance side is there's no statistics on the data in within JSON. Yeah, and that's why joining can be not working well because of lack of statistics for internal data, right? Yeah, so it's really difficult for the planner to make good decisions. I suspect we can co- collect it, no? Using create statistic and expression, no? I, I Can you d- you can do that? Why not? That would be cool. <laughs> well, well, but but it's just, not automatic, right? You'd have to remember you'd have to do that on a on a manual basis. Right, but why not? It's just some fresh uh, question came to my mind. I, I, I actually never needed it because I, I was very careful usually with uh, JSON, JSONB values, uh, keeping only some really flexible data there. So, And also, worth mentioning, you might need to work with JSON even not storing any of JSON, right? You just provide it as uh, output. For example, in the case, if you use Postgres, oh, yeah. you, do, you do it all the time, in, implicitly. You might uh, do it explicitly if you have some queries. So relational data is stored, but JSONB or JSON as output. Oh, like casting to it or like right. or using a function, I guess, creating or it. Or parsing. I never thought of it. As, yeah. Or parsing. You, you take it as input and then you parse and store it uh, as, as a relation. Actually, there's... Yeah some uh, direction of research called updatable views, updatable XML views over relational data type, the, the relational data. I guess uh, it could be done with, uh, for JSON as well. I'm not sure it's very pra- practical, interesting, practically interesting, but uh, yeah. So you can have uh, like layers. So relational data stored and uh, JSON as a communication language. Yeah, true. And I think what you said just then is that is where a lot of people land with this is you're very sensible and stored a lot of it in regular columns. But then the kind of the more you said the flexible part, the the other way I've heard that described is fields where the vast majority of your rows would be null. Like if it's uh, I think a common example given is like a, an e-commerce store where you might want to store some data for some types of products that most products don't have that data for. So you want it structured, but it's mostly for most of your objects, it's going to be null. So you could store maybe five attributes for each item, but they could be different on, for different items. So that I think that'd be a really good use case. Good. And speaking of nulls, uh, you know how I love <laughs> nulls. Uh, of course, it's very important concept in all relational databases, but if you use JSONB set to modify the, a part of your JSON value, you should be careful with nulls because if you use a relational null, SQL null, not relational, SQL null, in this case, it will nullify whole value. You need to use JSONB null. So it's like string null converted to JSONB. In this case, you'll be fine and it will nullify only 
the pa- a part of your JSON value which you target at. So it's it's a lot of uh, small things to learn uh, when you work with it. But I think modern development is impossible without JSON, right? And any other pieces of advice you have? No, you mentioned that the toast val that toast value threshold. that starts toting things over mm-hmm. threshold. Yes, can be configurable. That's the, if anybody wants to look that up. That's the toast tuple target. And there's a really good blog post by Haki Benita uh, mm-hmm. where I learned about that, about medi- storing medium-sized text. But by default, with, if we have JSON values uh, much less in size than uh, two kilobytes, we should be fine. Well, much less, yes. If they're tiny, great. Right. If they're really big, is there's there can be performance issues. But it's that he actually makes a really good point that it's there's really weird performance penalties for medium size so things that are just slightly under that two kilobyte limit so yeah, it's a really good blog post quite long but i highly recommend reading it because it's quite well as usual i recommend experiment oriented approach yeah. take your schema take your workload if you don't have workload yet try to invent it trying to predict the future it's sometimes possible and just benchmark uh, all aspects and yeah. pay attention to toasting and and so on why not absolutely I'm constantly learning. I don't know all the details. Uh, this reference of all fa- functions related to JSON and JSONB data types. An interesting thing that I use usually quite a lot, I use row to JSON and, and JSON AGG for aggregation. And the interesting small advice is uh, that you can order by inside aggregation. So you can uh, have group by, for example, and have JSON AGG, and there inside parentheses you write order by, and it works, for example. That's so cool. I didn't know it's that. It's independently working, independently from main order by clause in your select statement. So it's interesting. Yeah, well. Yeah, well, it's not, sorry, it's, not, it's about arrays. Then you can order by then and for arrays, it's not fully related, but then you can also have indexing. For example, I want only first five members of this array. Ah, a very important thing, new people uh, sometimes make mistake here. If you use arrow operator, uh, regular arrow operator for JSON and JSONB values, you will be getting JSON or JSONB values as a result. But sometimes you want text. And uh, if you, uh, you will see uh, double quotes if you later convert it to text, these double quotes will, will be preserved there. And it's not good. In this case, one of the things I wish I knew earlier, right? Double arrow operator will directly convert it to text, eliminating double quotes. It's very handy. Yeah, that's a great tip. Ah, some awesome little tips at the end as well. Bonus. We can write an article now, right? <laughs> JSON and JSONB tips. Yeah, that would be great. Oh, actually, there was one last blog post that I wanted to... So there's a, a couple of good ones, one by ScaleGrid that I'll share and one by the Heap team that I'll share as well that were good and a bit of further reading. Yeah, and, and we should definitely share benchmark results from Alec Bartonov's talk, talks. Last was maybe a year ago or something. There is a comparison with MongoDB there, also interesting. And speaking of MongoDB, there is a new project called FerretDB, FerretDB, right? Uh, which attempts to build MongoDB-like database system on top of Postgres, which is interesting. And yeah, what, is it compatible is with Mongo? Is I don't know details. Same? I only okay. know that one of the founders is Peter Zaitsev from Percona. So it's a lot of experience should be brought there. And I think it's an interesting project. 
I checked it yesterday. It, it looks very live, so a lot of development happening. So uh, worth keeping an eye on it for those who have MongoDB preference in terms of work of, with JSON documents and so on. I'm curious about checking benchmarks for this new system. It's like open source MongoDB because, you know, MongoDB is not really open source anymore, right? They push everyone to use Atlas. So this project has good chances to convert some users to Postgres, basically, right? So it's a good thing. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Nikolai. Thank you, everybody, for joining us and see you next week. Thanks, Michael. Bye-bye.